The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. So happy to see each one of you today. I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open it to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to get there in a moment. If you're using your YouVersion Bible app, the event for today is in there. It's easy to find. Um, today we are talking about um, a matter of life and death, and that sounds, that sounds pretty serious because the things that God tells us are a matter of life and death. Uh, while you're turning there to Deuteronomy chapter 30, um, I just want to share with you, this is, this is something from Acts. This is Acts 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. What we find in the Bible is the Bible is telling us how to do certain things. And while we're going to talk about the purpose of the church in about a month, there's something I just want to briefly touch on today as we think about Acts chapter 2, 42. When we gather together, we want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, I'm not an apostle, but we are devoted to their teaching. We are devoted to what Scripture says about God. We are devoted to what Scripture tells us about ourselves. We also want to be a people uh, that are devoted to fellowship. And that's a really, that's a really strange word. Let me tell you what fellowship doesn't mean. Fellowship is not the thing that we do f- the five minutes before the 1015 and the five minutes after the 1015, where we shake hands and kiss babies. I call that glad handing. It's one of my least favorite parts of, um, of being a pastor, because what I would rather do is actually be in fellowship with people, I would actually rather be in real relationship with people. The Greek word means participation. So when we think about fellowship, we think about participation. We are not here to, to sit idly and, and consume content. We are here to participate. So an example of that is when we sing in the mornings, we want to participate. We want to be involved. We want to be engaged. We want to engage our minds and engage our emotions and engage our physical selves. Like if you feel at some point during a song, if you, if you feel like you should raise your hands, like that's okay here. We want you to physically express yourself. We want you to participate. We also wanna share in meals together. And I know that over the last 10 months, that has just looked different. That is probably one of my least favorite things about how the last uh, 10 or 11 months have gone is, is we have not been able to have meals in the way that traditionally we've done here at Westway Christian Church. We, uh, I think last year, we didn't even do Taco Sunday last year. We sort of had ice cream Sunday. We didn't really have a Thanksgiving um, gathering, but it's our desire to do these things because something happens around a meal that is spiritual in nature. It's, have you ever noticed it's really hard to be angry with someone that you're having a meal with? Of course you have. Because for those of you who have been married and you're arguing with your spouse and you sit down with them and you stare at them across the table, it's not a very fun meal. It's not a very fun conversation. So we want to be a church body at some point when we are allowed to, to regather again and everyone feels comfortable. We want to have meals. And the last thing that the church 
in the first century or before the first century actually was devoted to is they were a church that was devoted to prayer. One of the things that's happening right now, we have a prayer team that just over the last four weeks, I'm gonna call Kim Holloway out because I know a little bit of the backstory on this. We had, a, we had a team leaders team trained back in January and she went to Joe, I think like either that same day or shortly thereafter and said, you know what? God has been for 10 years, God has been telling me that I need to lead a prayer team here at Westway Christian Church. And I have, I have ignored him and I've not paid attention to him. Um, Kim, am I far off on what I'm saying? No, perfect. Um, I have ignored him and I've not paid attention to him and we just need to do this thing. So she got together with, with a few other people and, and right now uh, we are doing something uh, that starts tomorrow, I believe, um, called 40 Days of Prayer. And uh, Kim and Chris Robinson and my wife, Ann, have come in and they've, they've set up a number of prayer stations around the building. And what we're asking for people to do is simply over the next 40 days, we want people to be in our building at some point during that day and go through this prayer journey, pray for our body, pray for our nation's leaders, pray for our missionaries, pray for one another, pray for our world, and just be engaged in prayer. All you have to do when you leave here today, there's a table out there, and either Kim, Chris, or Ann, maybe even all three, will be waiting at the table to help you sign up. And I wanna encourage you to, I wanna encourage you to not not do this. Right? Did you follow two negatives and make a positive? I want to encourage you to participate in this. We want to do things here at Westway Christian Church that, that don't just rely on our own strength. And the only way we do that is by giving these things to God in prayer and asking for his help to do bold things. Now, you don't know this because I haven't told you, but one of the things that I have been praying about um, over about the past month this year is that we would see 100 people this year come to know Jesus through the ministry of Westway Christian Church. Now, I can't do, you know what? I can't do that. You can't do that. But I believe that this is, well, I don't believe. I know, I have confident faith and hope that God can. So I wanna encourage you to join me in praying for that for our community. And one of the things that we've been talking about in our in our uh, Tuesday and Thursday night small group is this thing called spiritual concentration. So when we pray for something like, we want 100 people to come to know Jesus through the ministry of Westway Christian Church, what that means is, is I need to have my eyes and my ears attuned to what's going on around me. So, so as I have opportunities to have spiritual conversations with people, I need to enter into that space because I believe that God wants to do some things here in Scott's Bluff, and he's inviting each and every one of us to be a part of it. And the question that we have to ask is, like, are we going to join him? I wanna invite you over the next 40 days to sign up for a day and come and pray here at Westway Christian Church. My guess is it'll take 45 minutes. Maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter, but 45 minutes. We wanna be a body that doesn't just gather for the apostles' teaching, doesn't just gather for participation, doesn't just gather for meals, but we wanna be a body that prays because that's the, that's the obedient body that we see in the book of 
Acts. So I want to take you back. Um, I want to take you back with me to September 1991. Um, a month earlier, uh, Saddam Hussein had invaded Iraq. I don't, know, I don't know how many of you remember that moment, but Saddam Hussein, or had invaded Kuwait, excuse me, Saddam Hussein uh, and, and the Iraqi military invaded Kuwait. And shortly, um, shortly before that, um, I had spent most of that summer trying to get into the United States Army. Okay, I'd spent most of that summer trying to get into the military. And I found myself in mid-September at Fort Knox, Kentucky for basic training. And one of the very first things that they gave us when we, we called it crossing the street. When we crossed the street from the reception barracks to where we were going to receive um, basic training, one of the very first things they gave us was a gas mask. And they said, um, here's the deal. And they didn't say it, right? They shouted, right? And there were a few more words that I won't share with you what words they put in between all of these other words. But they gave us a gas mask, and that too is generous. They gave us a gas mask, and they said, over, over a period of time, we're going to call out the phrase gas, gas, gas. And we're going to give you about nine seconds to put that thing on. And if you don't have it on in nine seconds, you're going to be doing push-ups from now until the cows come home, until you learn to put your gas mask on in nine seconds. Because it was a matter of life and death. The, uh, the United States and, and an entire coalition of nations had, had, um, had, formed, had formed a group, and they had gone to Saudi Arabia, um, and for the next three months, they waited to push Iraq out of Kuwait. And one of the concerns they had was that the Iraqi military were going to use chemical weapons. So they wanted, they wanted all of the people that were heading to Iraq to be ready to put on their gas mask within nine seconds so they didn't die when the gas went off. One of the other things that, that they taught us how to do and they did this, again, very quickly um, because fear is an awesome motivator. When someone is screaming and shouting at you and cursing your name while you're doing things, you tend to move fast, right? They gave us, they gave us each an M16, and they taught us how to, how to field strip it, which means how to take it down and how to reassemble it as quickly as possible and clean and, and, and clear a jam or clear a malfunction because they wanted us to know how to use the weapon because it was a matter of life and death. Because if the weapon failed you, you, you could die in that moment. And then they also gave us, um, at that point, the, the army sidearm was the M9 Beretta. Same thing. How to field strip it, how to take it apart, how to put it back together. My time in the army was short-lived. I said I spent months trying to get in. When I was in high school, I had a back injury. I had to get a medical waiver to get into the army. But there were a few things that stuck to me. Ten years later, um, I, I, bought, I bought my first gun, bought my first handgun, and it was the Beretta M9. And when I got it home, ten years later, you know what I could do? I knew how to take that thing apart, I knew how to clean it, and I knew how to put it back together as quickly as possible. And my exposure to that handgun was maybe a week and 10 years later, I, I, could still, I could still do everything I needed to to have that 
firearm ready to, ready to fire, right? Because the way that that was presented to me when I was at Fort Knox was this was a matter of life and death. And then seven years ago, I bought another fire alarm, fire, firearm that sort of looks like the M16, but it's not. I'm not going to say, I don't want to cause any alarm. And so this was, this was five or six years ago. So now, um, more, almost 20 years passed, 25 years passed. And when I got that thing home, you know what I could do with it? I could take it apart. I could clean it and I could put it back together because they had, they had drilled into us that this was a matter of life and death. And, and what I want to present to you today is that, is that God's word is a matter of life and death. Our, our agreement with, our adherence to, our obedience to, our love of God's word truly is a matter of life and death. Let's quickly catch up what we've talked about over the past couple weeks. Two weeks ago, we talked about Genesis 1 and 2, how, how God brought order out of chaos. He made everything. He created all things. The Bible says he did it in six days. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says um, that by faith, we believe that the, that the earth was made out of nothing in six days, so we're just gonna take God's word for it, right? Doesn't mean I don't have questions. Doesn't mean I don't have thoughts. Doesn't mean I don't know what to do when someone asks me, yeah, but what about the dinosaurs, okay? It just means I'm just gonna trust what the Bible has to say. And then last week, we talked about how, how mankind's desire, once they knew what God wanted from them, and for them, mankind will 99.9999999999 infinity percent of the time always choose to pick our own way. When we, are, when we are given those two choices, be obedient to God, trust his definition of good and evil, or declare autonomy and agency, and decide what's good and evil for myself, we will far more often, more often than not, choose our own autonomy. And we went through those first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, and we, and we just saw how, how sin and death and destruction just cascaded from that autonomy, cascaded from that agency. And, and we even see that today. We see today how when people claim autonomy and claim agency over, over their own lives and reject God's definitions of good and evil, we see chaos, death, and destruction. That's what you see outside of these walls. And honestly, that's what we see in our own lives too, right? When we choose autonomy, do we not breed chaos, death, and destruction as well? Well, then something happens, and this is, in, this is in Genesis chapter 12, and I'm gonna put this text on the screen. At the very end of Genesis 11, um, we're introduced to a character by the name of Abram. I'm just gonna read Genesis 12, one to three to you. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and I will go to the land, and go to the land that I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. As God has done through the first 11 chapters of the Bible, he calls out one person who is going to, who is going to represent him and be a faithful steward to him. Last week, actually this was a few weeks ago, uh, there's a pastor that I follow on, on Twitter and, and he, wrote, he wrote this. I just wanna, wanna read it to you. Remember at the end last week we talked about the Tower of Babel? People chose for themselves to make bricks and build a tower to the sky. That's the context. This is what this pastor wrote. He said, there's an amazing contrast between Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, and Genesis 12, the call of Abraham. There are two ways of living. Creating our own story and trying to build our name or finding ourselves in God's story and letting God name us. In Genesis chapter 11, it says, they began saying to each other. In Genesis 12, it says, the Lord had said to Abraham. In Genesis 11, it says, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. Like this is their effort. And in Genesis 12, it says, I will make you. Genesis 11, it says, come, let's build a great city for ourselves. And Genesis 12 says, I will make you into a great nation. Do you see the contrast between these two stories? I think some of us would rather settle for a city when God wants us to be a nation. Some of us would rather settle for what we can do and not call upon the name of the Lord. Genesis 11 says this, the tower will make us famous. Genesis 12 says, I will bless you and make you famous. See, Abraham, like Noah and Lamech and like Cain and Adam before him, he was given, he was given a choice. You can, you can either reflect God and accept my discernment and my definitions of good and evil. You can accept my will or you can make your own path. And, and if you read through the rest of Genesis this week, you would know that in 99.999999 infinity nines percent of the time, what Abraham and his family and his offspring often chose was autonomy and agency. And we see, we see lives filled with dysfunction in the book of Genesis. We see families live with dysfunction in the book of Genesis. I don't know how dysfunctional you think your family is. You should read Genesis and you will have an entirely new definition of dysfunction. And that doesn't mean that we don't have things to repent of. And I know we don't, we don't play the comparison game a lot here. I hate the comparison game. But in a way that this, this plays into what we're gonna talk about today. 
I think one of the things that, 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 that some of us think, if, if we're not a follower of Christ, I think one of the things that some of us think is, um, God would never accept me. Maybe that's you. You should read the book of Genesis and see, see the, the losers, the dysfunctional, sinful people in the book of Genesis and see how God accepts them. So, so Abraham and his wife eventually have a son named Isaac. Remember, this is when I said at the beginning of this series, there were going to be Sundays where I don't talk about things you wish I would, and I'm going to talk about things you wish I wouldn't. Today's that Sunday, right? So I'm just gonna gloss over a whole bunch of history because one of the things that we wanna encourage you to do so we want to encourage you to be in the text. We want to encourage you to dig deeper. And the only way we talk about 66 books of the Bible in 12 weeks is if we talk about like 0.001% of the whole story. So Abraham and his wife, Sarah, eventually have a son by the name of Isaac. He has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, the younger son, buys his birthright from his older brother for a bowl of stew. I know I said that wrong a few weeks ago, but Jacob buys Esau's birthright as the firstborn for a bowl of stew. And then he conspires with his mother to steal his blessing from him as well. Right, so this is dysfunction. Jacob goes on to have 12 sons and 11 of them would then conspire against one of them, a guy by the name of Joseph. You've probably heard of him. I say this every time I use his name. I don't care whether or not you think it's funny. He had the electric Technicolor dream coat. It was orange and it was red and it was yellow. You know the whole song. They conspire against Joseph because he's walking around telling, telling his brothers that they're all going to bow down to him. Hey, I'm having these dreams where, where, where I'm the sun in the universe and, and, you got, and, and there are 11 planets that are all bowing down to me. Well, what would you do if your brother told you that? You'd probably sell them to traders as well, right? They sell them to traders. He ends up in Egypt. And years later, there's a famine in the land and the brothers go to Egypt where they meet their brother. They meet Joseph. Only now he has all of this phenomenal cosmic power that he told them that he was going to have. He's second only to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And we wonder in this moment as, as we see this story unfolding before us as we're reading it, what's Joseph gonna do? In the back of our minds, we're all thinking, well, I know what I would do in that situation. And instead of punishment, there's grace. And we start to, if we've been reading the book of Genesis correctly thus far, isn't that the theme that we see? Instead of punishment, we see grace. There's certainly discipline, but we see, we see there are certain people who are, who are enacting their role, who are living out what they are called to do. And when faced with with the realities and hardships and the choices of other people, Joseph gives his brothers grace. And in fact, at the end of the book, Genesis ends with Joseph saying this. 
what you guys planned for evil, God planned for good. What you guys planned for evil, I mean, you threw me in the pit. You, you took my amazing Technicolor dream coat and you put blood on it and you took it home to dad and you said, he got eaten by an animal and you let him live with that for years and years and years and years. What, what you guys did, what you meant for evil, God used for good. And that's why as, as Christians, one of the things that we have to understand is we, as we tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ, you can't out God's grace. There's always grace that's available for us. And, and Joseph knows that. And eventually, eventually Joseph dies and, and we turn the page uh, to the book of Exodus and 400 years go by with one turn of the page. You know, we have not even been a country for 400 years, right? These are, these are things that are happening on a, on a time scale historically that, that we just can't wrap our minds around. So with the turn of the page, 400 years go by, and as promised to Abraham, the Israelites, the Hebrews, are indeed a great nation. They are indeed in another land, only they're enslaved by the Egyptians. And true to form, and again, this is, this is, the, big, this is the big story of the Bible. This is the narrative that we see. True to form, God raises up one man, Moses, through which he will deliver his people. And the first 18 chapters detail their path to freedom. I would encourage you to read that this week. And in chapter 19, they arrive at Mount Sinai and they are confronted for the first time. The, the Hebrew people are confronted by the God that has freed them and they're scared to death because they arrive at this mountain and there's thunder and there's lightning, very, very frightening, and there's fire and there's all of these other things that are taking place <clears throat> and they have no idea what they're supposed to do. And this is God revealing themselves to his people. He's telling them that he wants to be in a relationship with them so he has this conversation with Moses where they, where, they, um, where they talk about the terms of that relationship. He gives them the, the Ten Commandments after he invites them up and they, of course, refuse because they're scared. So what God tells Moses is, well, if the people aren't going to come to me, I am going to go to them. I'm gonna come down to them. Which again, like you see this in the story, right? As we've been reading through the text, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He came down to them. God came to Noah. God came to Abraham. God is a perpetual being who is coming to us because he wants to be in relationship with us. And throughout the rest of the book of Exodus, we learn how the tabernacle is going to be built. And I know that when you hit that part in your Bible reading plan, maybe you're already there right now. I know you wanna, man, how long does this go on about tables and candelabras and 
all this stuff. See, God is doing all of this because, because when you're in God's presence, the smallest details matter. The smallest details matter. Well, then at the end of the book of Exodus, Moses, like you would think that Moses would be allowed in, right? Because he's God's man, only he's not. So who is allowed in? Who's allowed into this tabernacle? That's what Leviticus is about. The 12 sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Again, you need to go back and reread the book of Genesis. The 12 sons become 12 tribes and the Levites are the priests. They are going to be the ones who are, who are allowed in. They're going to lead all of the religious rituals. They're the ones who are going to, to lead worship, to lead the gathering, to offer the sacrifices and, and, and all of those things. And if you read through the book of Leviticus, you'll see that it's divided into three sections. The first is rituals. This is mostly about the kind of sacrifices that people have to offer. So I'm gonna bring an animal. And sometimes that's a, that's a thank you Sometimes that's an I'm sorry to God, and sometimes that's a festival. So the first thing in Leviticus that we read is uh, rituals. The second is about the priesthood themselves, the Levites themselves. If I'm gonna go into God's presence, what do I have to wear? What do I have to put on my body? If you remember a couple years ago when we talked about, when we went through the book of Hebrews, we talked about how the temple was set up how the tabernacle was set up. Big tent all the way around the outside, a little smaller tent in the middle of that bigger walled tent. You walk inside there, and then there's this big curtain. And behind the curtain was, was the Ark of the Covenant. Behind the curtain was the very presence of God. And the only people that were allowed in there were certain Levitical priests once a year on the Day of Atonement. And if you go in there and you're not supposed to go in there, there's an interesting little story about Nadab and Abihu who walked into the tent and they, it says they lit, the wrong, they lit the wrong fire. They lit the wrong fire inside the tent and flame, fire came through that curtain and consumed them. And it also says that, that Moses and his brother Aaron were there when it happened. Can you imagine that scene for a minute? Put yourself in their shoes. You walk into the tent with three other people and two of them, I would say get lit, but that is a different term, different, different meaning in 2021. But they but they, act, they absolutely get lit up. Because entering into God's presence is a matter of life and death. And if you do it, if you do it wrong, you're gonna die. Here's the third part of Leviticus. It's about purity. It's, 
It's about cleanliness and uncleanliness and purity and impurity. And there's a lot of things that talks about rules about what, what people were allowed to eat, what they weren't allowed to eat, what they were allowed to wear, what they weren't allowed to wear, what kind of crops they could have. Uh, Leviticus 13 and 14 is fascinating read about infectious skin diseases. I know you're all going to go home and dig into that one. Um, but, but these things really mattered to God and they mattered to his people um, because when we are in a relationship with God, when we are in a relationship with God, our relationship with God ought to affect every aspect of our lives. I don't just have a spiritual side of me that shows up on Sunday. It's not what a relationship with God is. A relationship with God was even going to affect the food the people ate. It was going to affect how they cleaned their houses. And my guess is we probably don't think about those things very much today. And we're under grace. We're not under the law. Read through the rest of the Bible to see how that whole thing plays out. But one thing that hasn't changed, the principle that hasn't changed is when we're in a relationship with God, it ought to impact every single aspect of our lives. And if it doesn't, we're missing out on something. And this all culminated in a day of atonement. This is in Leviticus 19. I really recommend you read that. It was the, it was the most important festival. That was the, that was the one day of the year where the priest could go into that holy of holies. And they would bring two goats and they would sacrifice one of those goats. And then the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would take a, a hyssop branch with blood and dip it in the blood and he would sprinkle it on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was, was the Ten Commandment stones. Earlier this week, week, I watched the Bible Project video on this and they described this in a way that I never grasped before. So, so you have the blood on top of the ark and you have the 10 commandments in the ark. And when God looks down on the ark, he doesn't see the law being broken. He sees the blood covering the fact that we break the law. He sees the atonement has been made. Because what God wants from us is a relationship. God wants to be clear that there's a crystal clear path to knowing who he is. Well, God told Abraham that they were gonna live in a special place that was just for them. Where's, where's that space? Flip over into the book of Numbers. I also didn't know this, but the original name for the book of, for the, what we call Numbers is In the Wilderness because they spend 40 years in the wilderness. Why do they spend 40 years in the wilderness? Because it only takes like 12 days to get from Egypt to the border of the promised land. So why did it take them 40 years? Because when they showed up at the border of the promised land, they sent in 12 spies, 10 were bad, two were good. Maybe you heard that song in VBS. And the people were like, no, we can't go in. 10 spies said, no, we can't go in. The people are giants. Their cities are walled. Their cities are fortified. We know all the things that God has done for us um, in the midst of this, bringing us out of Egypt and giving us food and giving us water. And we just don't think that God 
is going to deliver on his promises. So we're not ready to go in and God and Moses have a conversation and Moses goes to the people and says, okay, you know what? You don't want to go in. See, God loves you so much that, that he's going to give you what you want. And maybe that sounds really counterintuitive to you. But God allows us to live with the consequences of our poor choices. See, when we have a decision to make, when the Israelites had a decision to make between trusting God or picking their own agency and autonomy, what did they do? They chose agency and they chose autonomy. And God said, so the generation, everyone who is older than 20 that just came out of Egypt, you guys are all gonna die. None of you are getting into the promised land. So for the next 40 years, they wandered around the promised land. And again, you should read through the book of Numbers and talk about how they complained about the food they had. In one of the most unironic statements, I think, in the entire Bible, they actually say that the food was better in Egypt, where they were slaves. The food was better. They complained about the leadership. They complained about the water. And over that period of 40 years, that group of people died until there was a new group that was ready to enter into the promised land. The fulfillment of God's plan, the time of the fulfillment of God's plan was now upon them. So what do you say when you arrive at the Jordan River? What do you say? What do you do? Well, if you're Moses, you give a final speech. And because it's the Old Testament, it has like 60 million chapters in it. But that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. It's Moses' final speech to his people. Because he's not gonna join them. Because there was a time where the people were crying out for water. And the first time this happened, God said, hey, hit this, hit this rock and water will come and, and the people will know it's me. Well, the second time the people were crying out for water, Moses does what we would do. Well, I saw God do this, so I'm gonna take it upon myself, right? I'm gonna show agency and autonomy. And sure, water came out, and God was like, Moses, who's in charge? Why can't you trust me? Why do you have to take it upon yourself? So Moses is not going to join them. So in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses reminds them of their formal, former rebellions and he reminds them how God has come through for them time and time and time and time and time and time again, again and again. No matter what you guys did, Moses said, God was always faithful. He was always true. He tells this new generation that they are to be different. And he says, things are gonna, when we cross this Jordan River and we're going to get into this land, things are going to be different. 
The way that we have operated over the last 40 years is not going to be the way that we function in this new land. So I'm telling you all of these things because I want you to know. And despite all of the things that you have done, you can't out God's grace. He's always going to be merciful to you. He's always going to be with you. So when are you just going to get with the program and be obedient to God? Why can't you do this? Why won't you do this? Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you. Miss McHugh, some of my favorite things about technology is when I forget to click on the right button. Do this off the screen. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey it? No, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your hearts that you can obey it. Now listen. Today, I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away, and you refuse to listen. And if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings, curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and keeping yourself committed, committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you'll live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's what Moses is telling the people as they get ready for this momentous occasion to cross into the promised land. Your relationship with God is not for show. When we, as we've wandered the desert and set up the tabernacle and taken down the tabernacle and 40 years of days of atonement and and we've done all this stuff, this isn't just for show. This is training. So you understand when you, when you cross into this promised land that this relationship that God has called you into will affect every aspect of your life. And, and here's the thing, and if you, if you don't obey, you're going to die. And then before Moses probably rolls up his scroll and marches off into the mountains so he can get a good view of the promised land. 
and die, he drops this little word of encouragement on them. You guys are gonna fail. That's what it says. You can't do it. You can't do it. What you need, Moses says, is a new heart. And until your heart is right, all of these rules, all of these regulations, all of these things, it's just, it's just window dressing. And it's not that it's unimportant because God ordained it. God had a plan in, in telling his people how he wanted to interact with them. But God's after your heart. And that's why a few weeks ago when, when I quoted the politician who said something to the effect of um, our hearts will be troubled as long as systemic racism exists. It's why that's wrong. See, systemic racism will exist as long as our hearts are troubled. As long as there is something wrong in here, we will never fix what's out there. Because God tells us what's right and wrong. And what we want to do is declare autonomy and agency from God and determine that on our own. And the entire Bible, the entire Old Testament is filled with a group of people who know what they should do and constantly choose to do something else. And isn't that our story? And isn't that why we need someone to fix what's going on inside of us? We need to fix our hearts. We need someone to fix our hearts. This is John 3.16. I know you've heard that a million times. One time I was so excited in youth group one time, I told our students, I said, hey, next week we're gonna talk about John 3.16 and they groaned, right? Because we've all heard it. But I wonder if we've listened to what it says. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And don't forget 17, God sent his son into, world, into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. See, Jesus is our fix the hope of Christ is our fix. We live in a time and an age where, where we don't have to do all of those rules and regulations, where we don't have to follow the book of Leviticus. I know I talk about social media all the time and how bad it is. Occasionally, there's a gem. I don't know what you think when you read through all of those laws about clothing and food and mildew and skin diseases, and being near a dead body. But Beth Moore recently wrote this about the book of Leviticus. Thank God for the cross of Christ. See, our relationship with God is not defined by what we eat or what we don't eat. It's not defined on the level of mildew in our house or not in our house. It's not defined by, by how we treat people um, 
like medically uh, who have infectious skin diseases. Our relationship with God is defined by Jesus Christ. And if you want eternal life, the pathway to that is through him. And I wanna encourage you today, if you are, if you're not a follower of Jesus, your path to autonomy is your problem. And I'm telling you that because I love you. And I'm telling you that because that was my experience and that was the honest experience of every person before they entered into a relationship to Christ. I have a choice. Choose what God wants or choose what I want. And I don't know about you, but every time I've chosen what I want, at some point it's just gone bad. And what I need to do is submit my life to Christ to his ideas and ideals. And I would love for you to do that as well. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that your word works to tell us about the beginnings of your people and the calling of your people to obedience. The calling of your people to honor you not just with their mouths, but with their actions and, and the way they prepared food and the, every aspect of their lives were impacted by who you were. God, I pray that we would, have, we would be impacted in that same way. That we would desire to follow you, to serve you, because all you want with us is a relationship. And that's on your terms, not ours. God, forgive us when we seek autonomy and agency. Forgive us when we thumb our noses at what you would have us do and how you would have us live. And as we wander because of our own choices, God, help us Help us to have open eyes and open ears to hear you calling to us. It's in your son's name that we pray.